Throughout history, plenty of saints, prophets, and martyrs have claimed to hear the voice of God. Moses had the burning bush. Joan of Arc had prophetic visions. If God were going to connect with someone today, you think it would still be a vision? Or would it be a text message, an email? Would God slide into your DMs? Sure, laugh all you want, but in the fall of 2003, a woman in Sweden started receiving anonymous text messages. Eventually, she came to the conclusion that she was texting with God, and he had a very important mission. He needed her to kill someone. This is the story of the Canopy incident. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is International Infamy, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm taking you around the world to look at 15 culture-defining crimes from 15 different countries. Today, we're traveling to a small, isolated town in Uppsala, Sweden, and looking at one of the strangest murders of the 21st century. Initially, police thought this was an open-and-shut case. But the deeper they dug into the Canopy Philadelphia community, the more questions they uncovered. All of that is coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, so this all starts early in the morning on January 10th, 2004. Emergency services get called at 4:42 a.m. A man has been attacked, shot in the face and chest in the small town of Knutby. His name is Daniel Linde. And he's a member of a tight-knit religious community called Canopy Philadelphia. Paramedics rush to Daniel's neighborhood, which is a little more than a dozen houses on top of a hill in the middle of farmland. Most of his neighbors are awake and gathered in his house and front yard, visibly emotional, praying for him. It's clearly a really close-knit group. One of the head pastors, Helga Fosmo, is so concerned that he's even helping the paramedics, holding up the IV bag that's connected to Daniel's arm. He stays by Daniel's side the whole time, even riding with him in the ambulance. Miraculously, Daniel is still alive, 
He's having a hard time explaining exactly what happened because he's been shot in the face. But before the ambulance leaves for the hospital, the police are able to gather from Daniel that his attacker was a large masked man. Inside Daniel's house, they don't find any clues. No weapons, nothing to identify the attacker. But they do discover that the back door is open. And outside the door, they find a set of tire tracks and a set of footprints in the snow. The police make note of these, but before they can investigate any further, a woman suddenly runs out of the house next door, screaming. There's blood everywhere. Alexandra is not responding. Help! Police follow her inside and they realize there have been two shootings that night. A woman has been shot three times while she lay sleeping in her bed. Sadly, her wounds are fatal. And this woman's name? Alexandra Fosmo. The wife of Helga Fosmo. The pastor who had just followed Daniel to the hospital. Obviously, something feels off. Police aren't sure if there's a connection between these two shootings, but it seems like a lot to be just a coincidence. Even though Alexandra's body was discovered after Daniel, it turns out she was actually shot first. That means Helga is clearly a suspect. So later that morning, the police head to the hospital where he's still staying with Daniel. But when they tell Helga about his wife's murder, he's struck. He had no idea she'd been shot. For a few minutes, he's in shock, weeping. But he eventually explains he must have slept through the whole thing. While his wife was being murdered in their bedroom, Helga was 30 feet down the hall in his children's room. He didn't wake up until after Daniel was attacked. At that point, he ran directly out of the house to help, completely unaware that his wife was lying in their bedroom dead. As far as a suspect goes, Helga admits that, well, this isn't the first time that Alexandra has been attacked. So like I said, Canutby, Philadelphia is a tight-knit community. The most devoted followers all live as neighbors in a handful of houses on the hill. They share meals together. They watch each other's kids. They're one big happy family. Helga and Alexandra have three children. So another woman, Sara Svensson, lived with them and helped out with the three kids, basically like an au pair. For two years, the arrangement worked out well. Sara was deeply devoted to the church, so she loved being with the Fosmos. She liked having so much access to Pastor Helga, who was one of the main leaders of the congregation. It seemed like everything was going great, until a few months earlier, in the fall of 2003. Sara was struggling. All of a sudden, she'd become less devout. She lost her connection to God, and the church leaders worried that dark forces were at work in her soul. On the night of November 8th, those fears were confirmed. Helga was out of the house that night. While everyone else was asleep, Sara found a claw hammer and went upstairs to the Fosmo's bedroom where Alexandra was sleeping. Sara drew the hammer back and brought it down on Alexandra's head. But the blow wasn't hard enough to kill her. Instead, Alexandra woke up and fought back. She managed to get the hammer away from Sara and call for help. Helga and the other church leaders quickly came to her rescue. 
Alexandra had a couple of bad bruises on her face and was really upset, obviously, but otherwise she was fine. Sarah, on the other hand, was clearly beyond help. Needless to say, everyone was shocked. This attack came completely out of the blue. But instead of having Sarah arrested, the congregation banished her from Knutby. She was sent away from the hill, and all the church members were instructed to never speak to her ever again. And they thought that was that. Life continued on. But Helga admitted that he'd secretly been in contact with Sara a few times since she was banished. He was worried about her. Losing her home and her church in one fell swoop was a lot. He wanted to make sure that she was okay. She was a sweet girl before the attack, at least. But apparently, Sara was in a darker place than anyone had imagined. Helga assumes she must have come back to finish what she started. The police are skeptical of this explanation. Like, okay, maybe she did come back to kill Alexandra, but why would she go after Daniel too? Also, on the night of the shooting, Daniel said his attacker was a large man. Sara was a petite, blonde, hardly threatening figure. However, in the light of day, police are able to get a better look at the footprints in the snow leading away from the crime scene. The footprints are small, so maybe in his shock, Daniel was wrong. That evening, the police bring Sara in for questioning, and almost immediately, she confesses to everything. The hammer attack, both shootings, she's guilty, no contest. She tells police where to find the shoes she'd worn on the night of the murder, and they compare the shoes to the tracks in the snow, and it's a match. She even tells them where to find the gun she used. The bullets are also a match. She tells them where to find the silencer, and it matches the gun too. Basically, overnight, all the pieces fall into their lap, and the case solves itself. But it happens so easily that it's really, really suspicious. There are two big red flags that stick out to investigators. Number one, Sara says multiple times throughout her confession that she did this completely by herself. She had no help from anyone else. But by making such a big deal out of this point, it all but confirms to police that she did not act alone. And there's evidence to back this up as well. As I mentioned, the police found tire tracks and footprints in the snow near Daniel's house. But here's the important part. The tire tracks go in one direction, from Daniel's house to the road, and the footprints go the opposite way, from the house to the woods. Sara claims that she parked her car in the woods, walked to the house, and then took the same path back again. But the tracks suggest that a car dropped her off in front of the house, and then after the attack, she walked into the woods where her own car was waiting. And whoever dropped her off? It could be the large man Daniel mentioned to police. Red flag number two. Police just can't wrap their heads around why Sara did this. All she'll say is that it was the right thing to do. So police talk to Daniel's wife, Annette. And she provides a very important piece of context. She and Helga Fosmo have been carrying on an affair for several months. Now, this is a motive the police can get behind. Helga and Annette wanted their respective spouses out of the way so they could be together. 
Somehow, Helga convinced Sara to do the job. Who knows how or why? I mean, Sara had already attacked Alexandra once, so she was clearly fine with committing acts of violence. In the end, Alexandra and Daniel would be dead. Sara would take the blame, and Helga and Annette could live happily ever after. Boom, it all makes sense. So the police basically go to Sara and ask her, did Helga Fosmo ask you to kill his wife? Sara shakes her head, emphatic. No, she says. God asked me to. Coming up, Sara explains her motivations. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility. And some implausible ones, too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now let's get back to the story. Barely 24 hours after the murder of Alexandra Fosmo and the attempted murder of Daniel Lind, Sara has already confessed to both crimes. And why did she do it? Because God asked her to, apparently by text message. Sara says that in the fall of 2003, she started receiving text messages from an anonymous sender. Not just from an unknown number, there apparently was no number attached to the messages at all. The messages feel spiritual in nature. Sometimes they include Bible verses, and the messages speak in vague terms about what Sara needs to do, her purpose. Sara doesn't know what to make of this, so she seeks the advice of her pastor, Helga Fosmo. Together, they come to the conclusion that the messages are coming from God. And while this might sound a little far-fetched, people in Knutby allegedly talk to God all the time, especially Helga. He's had multiple visions and prophecies over the years. So if anyone is going to recognize when God is speaking, it's Helga. Sara is fully willing to believe these are messages from God, because like I mentioned earlier, she'd been having a really hard time in Knutby. She's struggling in her relationship with God. Everyone knows it, and she desperately wants to repair her standing in the church. 
And it's urgent because the Knutby congregation believes that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent and will usher in the end of the world. And when that happens, only those who are worthy get to go to heaven. So if your soul isn't ready when Judgment Day comes, you're done. So every day that passes ratchets up the pressure for Sarah to get back on God's good side. She'll do anything to prove her devotion. But then God reveals to Sarah what he actually wants from her. Alexandra Fosmo needs to die, and Sarah will be the one to make it happen. One message reads, there is a time for killing. There is a time to heal. Everything has its time, even this. Take this time that you've been given. Sarah goes back to Helga like, what? God wants her to kill someone? But Helga apparently points to the book of Genesis. God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, as an act of faith. Abraham agreed. He was about to do it, literally raising the knife. And then, at the last moment, an angel appeared and stopped him. It was a test. Abraham passed. Would Sarah pass her test? Sarah is desperate or devoted enough to do it. She tells police that on the night of the shooting, she kept checking her phone, waiting for a text message, waiting for God to call it off like he did with Abraham. But the message never came. So she did as she was told. To the investigators, this makes sense as a motive. Although obviously they aren't so convinced that God had a data plan. There has to be a more human source for the messages. The texts themselves have all been deleted from Sara's Nokia phone, but the police obtain a data log with the phone numbers for every call and text she sent and received. It turns out the messages that were allegedly from God were actually sent from a prepaid cell phone that used to belong to Sara. But at some point, that phone was taken away from her by Helga Fosmo. The police talked to a witness who says they tried to call Sara on that number, but it was Helga who answered. So the police bring all of this evidence to Helga and lay out what they think really happened. He manipulated Sara via text message, convinced her that she needed to kill Alexandra and Daniel to please God, leaving Helga and Annette free to be together. But Helga's like, are you kidding me? Text messages from God? Have you actually seen these messages? What do they say? What proof do you have? And the police have to admit that, no, they don't have the actual messages. The logs prove that Sara and Helga were in communication, but we don't actually know what they talked about. But we do know that they talked a lot. In the two months leading up to the shooting, Sara and Helga exchanged over 2,200 messages. On the actual day of the murder, they exchanged 18 text messages and 10 phone calls. One of those calls happened just minutes before Sara shot Daniel. So Helga says, okay, okay, there is something I have to tell you guys. Sara was more than just a nanny to my children. We were in love. So, yeah, apparently Annette isn't the only woman Helga was having an affair with. Around the time Sara moved in with the Fosmos, she and Helga started doing some kind of deep spiritual work. 
They would meet every night to pray together for the salvation of Knutby during the return of Christ. These prayer sessions ran so late that Sara would regularly sleep in Helga's room with him, while Alexandra slept in Sara's room. Alexandra apparently believed that all the two were doing was praying, but Helga admits that those late-night prayer sessions were actually hookups. The affair goes on for a little over a year, and then, according to Helga, he starts to sense a shift in Sara. He suddenly realizes that this affair is the work of the devil. He's been tricked into it by a temptress, so he breaks it off. This is about the same time that Sara loses her standing in the church and is seen to be, quote, struggling with her relationship with God. She becomes more and more isolated and desperate until the night when she attacks Alexandra with that hammer and is banished. Now, about those text messages. Helga had already admitted that he was in contact with Sara after she was banished. He clarifies that, yes, he was using Sara's old prepaid phone. He would get in trouble if anyone found out he was contacting her, so he didn't want to use his own phone. As for what those messages said, Helga insists they were not messages from God. He was just checking up on Sara. He still cared about her and didn't want her to lose herself after being banished. He had absolutely nothing to do with the shootings. According to Helga, Sara is just a lovesick woman who's been scorned. She came back and killed Alexandra because she was still in love with Helga. And she attacked Daniel because Helga had moved on with Annette. Okay, so we're kind of in a he said, she said now. Without the actual messages, there's no way for police to know who's telling the truth. If you believe Sara's version of events, God told her to commit these murders as an act of penance, and God was using a phone that was currently in Helga's possession. If you believe Helga, Sara acted alone out of jealousy after their affair ended. Any evidence against him is circumstantial. If you want to give Helga the benefit of the doubt, you could say, you know, Sarah is a murderer. We know that for a fact. Whatever the reason behind it, we know that she pulled the trigger, so... Why should we take her word over Helga's? Well, there's something else you need to know about Helga. Alexandra Fosmo is his second wife. His first wife, Helene, died in 1999, and Helga predicted her death. See, Helga and Helene first moved to Knutby in 1997. Helga flourished in the new community. He had almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible and quickly became a pastor himself. Helene, on the other hand, didn't enjoy life at Knutby. The couple had three small children, and she was frustrated by how much Helga's pastoral duties kept him away from the house. She needed his support, and it felt like he was too busy for her. Then, in the fall of 1999, Helga tells a few other pastors about a reoccurring dream he's been having. It involves Helene dying. Searching for answers, Helga sits down with his Bible, and after reading a bit, he has this revelation. If Helene is going to die, Helga won't be afraid. Dying isn't a bad thing. Dying is just going home. That dream may have been a premonition. On December 18th, Helga and Helene both come down with a terrible flu. They're both so sick they stay in bed the entire day, in and out of delirious sleep. 
At some point, Helene gets up to take a shower. Helga hears her get up and then falls back asleep. A few hours later, a neighbor comes to check on the Fosmos. He wakes up Helga, and Helga realizes that Helene is still in the bathroom, and the shower is still running. Helga rushes to the bathroom door, but it's locked. The neighbor grabs a screwdriver from downstairs, and they take the bathroom door off the hinges. They find Helene face down in the tub, still wearing her pajamas, a bleeding wound on the side of her head. Her body is limp, and Helga knows the moment he lifts her out of the tub, she's dead. At the time, the police determine that Helene's death was an accident. The wound on her head matches the shape of the faucet knob in the tub. Knowing that she was sick, it's believed that she fell or fainted and hit her head on the knob. But fast forward four years, and a second Fosma wife has died in the exact same house. After Alexandra's murder, the district attorney reopens the investigation into Helene's death, and they realize that it couldn't have possibly been an accident. At the time of her death, Helene had a lethal dose of an opioid in her body. She would have been so incapacitated, there is no way she could have walked from the bedroom to the bathroom to take a shower. And if she couldn't walk, she certainly couldn't have fallen in the tub. It was all staged. To top it all off, the opioid was from a prescription in Helga's name. With all these cards on the table, the investigators are pretty sure that Helga was involved in the deaths of both his wives. He's charged with both murders and the attempted murder of Daniel Linda. Sara is charged with murder and attempted murder as well. Not really a surprise considering that she confessed. But based on her psychological analysis, the court doesn't believe that Sara is mentally sound. Instead of putting her on trial, they remanded her to a psychiatric care facility. Helga, on the other hand, will get his day in court. And it's going to be a big day. This case is so bizarre and sensational, the Swedish press is following every update. And then, days before the trial is supposed to start, there is a huge break in the case. Forensics IT has managed to recover 20 deleted messages from Sara's Nokia phone. And almost half of them are from God. Coming up, God Speaks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now back to the story. Just days before Helga goes on trial, the police recover 20 of the missing text messages that he sent to Sara. And the messages confirm basically everything that Sara has said to this point. For one thing, the messages absolutely do look like they were supposed to be sent from God. And they all reference a vague mission Sara was supposed to carry out. On December 5th, about five weeks before the shooting, God told Sara, you need to make up your mind and not brood whether you should do it. 
find a secure solution. You will prove your love by liberating him. He needs it. He has reached his limit soon. Five days later, another message. You need to make a decision and not wither. Find a safe solution. You prove your love by liberating him. His limit is soon reached and he needs assurance. Time flies. Act before it is too late. A week after that? The first is your obligation. The other you can do out of love. It must be done some way or other. You would benefit from your unselfish help unto him. You can do it. So, yeah, we can read between the lines. It certainly does seem like God wanted Sara to kill Alexandra. And God, everyone knows, was actually Helga. When Helga goes on trial in 2004, Sara is the prosecution's star witness. By now, her psychiatrists have been able to break the spell of Knutby. She recognizes how Helga manipulated her, used her. She tells the court, Helga's word was my law. Today, I see more and more how sick that was. She paints a damning picture of the environment at Knutby. Helga was an authority figure in the church. He abused his position as a spiritual teacher. When Sara was worried about what God was asking her to do, Helga was right there to coach her along, to reassure her that this was the right thing. She explains, I was trapped in a corner. I am not a murderer, but I realized that it was my only way back to God. When it's Helga's turn on the stand, the prosecutor comes at him hard. He can barely get two sentences out before his side of the story is challenged. The entire time he's on the stand, he's on the defensive, and it just makes him look even more guilty. At the end of the sensational trial, Helga is convicted of soliciting Alexandra's murder and Daniel's attempted murder. The court doesn't find enough evidence to convict him for his first wife Helene's death, but even still, Helga is sentenced to life in prison. And that seems to be the end. Helga goes to jail. Sara goes into psychiatric care. Life in Knutby carries on. The press moves on to another story. But a few years after the verdict, Helga reaches out to the police. He says he wants to lay all his cards on the table. He needs to tell them the truth about what happened at Knutby, what's still happening at Knutby. According to Helga, Knutby is not just a religious congregation. It's a cult. And while he was one of the pastors, he wasn't the top of the pyramid. Helga had a puppet master of his own. Helga says that woman is named Osa Volgau. And she is the true, unquestioned leader of Knutby. And years ago, Helga had actually manipulated the congregation to help put Osa into power. There's a passage in the Bible that refers to Christ and his bride. Now, typically, this metaphorical bride is interpreted to be the church. But Helga points to another mention of the bride in Revelation. It says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. This suggests that the bride of Christ is an actual person. And obviously, according to Helga, the bride is Osa. She is the most devout among them. 
Like I said earlier, everyone in Canute is focused on Jesus' return and preparing their souls for salvation. So they believe if they do everything they can to help Osa, the bride of Christ, then they'll surely go to heaven. On the flip side, if you disappoint Osa, then she has the power to damn you to hell. And Helga says that Osa wielded this power as she pleased. Helga claims that around this time, he and Osa started an affair. Osa said that until Jesus came for her, she needed Helga to be a surrogate lover. Their relationship would be purely physical because spiritually, she was married to Jesus. Helga went along with it and they kept their affair secret from everyone. But Helga's wife, Helene, seemed to notice that something was up. She was upset about how much time Helga was spending away from the family and how much time he was spending with Osa. But when Helene complained, Osa only became more possessive. She told Helene, you are rebellious. You should not question what Helga does, that he spends time with me. You should not question me or God will kill you. And then a few weeks later, Helga found Helene in the bathtub. He believes that Osa somehow manipulated Helene into taking her own life. He also thinks that Helene's death helped Osa cement her power in Knutby. He explained, This changed my and the whole congregation's opinion of God. God is obviously willing to take people away. And Osa had a direct line to God. So let's fast forward to 2003. Allegedly, Helga went to Osa and told her about his affair with Sara. He told her how much he loved Sara. And Osa was not okay with this. She insisted that they end their affair immediately. So remember how Sara was struggling with her faith before that hammer attack? Well, that just didn't happen organically. Osa told the congregation that Sara was under the devil's influence. Osa made Sara a pariah. She pushed Sara to the brink until she would have done literally anything to get right with God again, even murder. Helga finally admits that he sent the text messages from God to Sara, but he claims he didn't do it on his own. Osa dictated the messages to him. Helga did what he was told because he did everything Osa asked him. But he says that he didn't realize what the messages really meant, didn't realize how Osa was manipulating Sara until it was too late. It wasn't until he was in jail that he put all the pieces together. Osa had orchestrated this whole thing out of jealousy or vengeance. She must have wanted to get back at him for his affairs with Sara and Annette. It took such a long time for Helga to come forward with this truth because Osa made him swear he would never reveal that she was the true author of the texts. She said that if he broke this promise, she would kill his daughters. And Helga knows she's capable of it. So some of this makes sense, but some of it doesn't. Here's why I'm not willing to let Helga off the hook. Even if Osa made him send those messages to Sara, it's really hard to believe that he had no idea what the intention behind them was. It seems like Helga talked to Sara about Abraham and Isaac. So even if he didn't understand the messages as he was sending them, he obviously figured it out during his discussions with Sara. 
And on top of that, after the hammer attack, how could he not realize what was going on? He kept sending those messages, kept egging Sara on until she attacked Alexandra again. So I don't think he can really claim innocence here. But there's another piece of the story that I want to return to, one that no one has ever had a satisfactory answer for. Who was the large masked man that Daniel saw on the night of the shooting? Between that and the tire tracks, it seems almost undeniable that Sara had an accomplice. Could it have been Helga? Or was it another person entirely? Another one of Osa's loyal puppets? We'll probably never know for certain. Helga is still in jail. Osa won't make any public comment. Sara has been released from psychiatric care, but she has so far stuck to her original claim that she acted alone. As far as Knutby being a cult, that actually does seem to be true. In the years after Helga was convicted, other Knutby followers have come forward and confirmed his story. Osa was the unquestioned authority at Knutby. She frequently abused her powers and she abused congregation members. Sadly, even with all the attention Knutby was getting after the murders, it took a long time for anyone to seriously look into what was happening. For a little while, Osa was actually kind of a minor celebrity in Sweden. She even published a book about her experience in the congregation. But she was mostly treated like a punchline, not an actual threat. The fellowship finally had a reckoning with the ongoing violence in 2019, over 16 years after Alexandra Fosmo's murder. Osa was convicted on a few charges of assault, and Knutby eventually disbanded. After that, Osa changed her name and now stays out of the public eye. Whatever her role was in the Knutby incident, she might never face justice for it in court. But at least she's lost the shield of protectors she manipulated for a decade and a half. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be back with another stop on our true crime world tour. And if you want to hear more, you can find all episodes of International Infamy for free on Spotify. International Infamy was co-created by Max Cutler and Ashley Flowers and is a Spotify original from Parcast starring Ashley Flowers. It's executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of International Infamy was written by Abigail Cannon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Chelsea Wood. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out Crime Junkie and all Audio Chuck originals. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder, we'll journey through the many reasons people disappear Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify.